Not Without Ambition by Something Wicked, narrated by Crows Before Bros. This story is rated M for Mature and has advisories for derogatory language, hate speech, sexual content, substance abuse, and violence. This story can be found at hpfanfictalk.com. March 1948 When I finally looked up, there was nothing but darkness. The few candles that lit the cavernous room had gone out, knocked to the ground with violent splatters of hot wax. I was on the floor, my hands grazed and stinging as I pushed them hard into the stone beneath me. I couldn't move, not yet. I lay there and wheezed, gasping for breath, my throat dry as parchment and burning from the heat. It was the only sound in the dark, the only sound left. I sat back, crouched, and pushed the damp hair back from my face with my hands that wouldn't stop trembling. I knew what surrounded me, the monstrosity hidden by the pitch black. My hands were wet, the cuts from my fall spotting them in blood. I didn't regret it. I couldn't, not as his voice drifted from somewhere before me and a hand found mine, guiding me to my feet. Well done, he whispered, his breath ghosted against my cheek. The shaking was worse. My wand clattered to the floor and rolled, the sound almost lost to the awful pounding of my heartbeat as the blood rushed through my veins, and he was delicate as he twisted his fingers through mine and drew my arm towards him. His touch like silk as he brushed cool patterns into my wrist, my forearm, and pushed my sleeve back gently. It helped. Somehow, I breathed easier. With every breath, I shook less, and the stiller I became, the less the horror stung at me. Soon I was calm, my eyes closed, and my chest rising and falling in even rhythm. That was very well done, the monster that had once been a man whispered. With that, his grip tightened, the point of a wand stabbed hard into my outstretched arm, and my knees buckled again, my head thrown back in a soundless scream. December 1943 The world shot by outside the window, the train sweeping through a blur of slush and snow that lay in churned heaps by the side of the track. I pressed my temple to the cool glass, focused on that as the Hogwarts Express seemed to rock on its rails, to sway and lurch until it was unbearable, and still it kept going. It helped fight against the impossible stuffiness of the compartment. It helped a little. We were nearly there, I told myself. An hour more and I'd be free of this box. I tried to focus on that and not the murmured conversation in the compartment, but it wasn't good enough. I couldn't focus on anything. I stood suddenly, leaving without a word and sliding the door shut behind me. I could hear the muffled questions of the girls I'd left, but I don't look back. I needed air. I walked down the corridor, taking deep breaths through my nose and breathing out through my mouth, counting. I counted the number of times I'd been bundled into this train when it would have been much quicker to use a port key or a fireplace to get home in seconds. 22. I counted the number of times I had left before I would never see the scarlet death trap again. 6. I breathed deeper as I got to a door and forced the sliding window down with a thud, flooding the whole corridor with a blast of freezing air and the rush of the night outside. I slumped to the floor, hand resting at the base of my throat, and I felt the rise and fall of my chest, the way my heart pulsed too quickly. I did feel better. Calmer. There was something about this train that I'd never liked, and what made it worse was people knew. Lucretia, for example, had offered me the window seat when we had arrived on the train like I was some invalid who needed her sympathy. A train was an odd weakness to have, but unfortunately it was mine. I counted the seconds as I sat there, silently begging that nobody passed and saw me like this. 307. 
That's as far as I got when there was a sudden shudder, a screech of brakes. I was tossed forwards as the train seemed to scream and the lights went out with a sudden deafening pop. The silence was stark. For a moment, I'm too shocked to move or really take in what's going on. Then my conscience finally caught up with the world around me and I realized that, as if by some miracle, the Hogwarts Express has stopped. I scrambled to stand, to squint around the dark. There wasn't a sound across the train. Hundreds of us stopped and listened, collectively confused. I held my breath and waited for something, anything to happen. For a moment, there was nothing. Then, in the blackness, something moved, a tall figure emerging from a compartment, pausing, turning. The door clicked shut behind them as they walked, glided almost towards me. The shadow approached and I saw a hood, a pale face underneath, and a pair of eyes watching me. I flattened myself into the wall, moving out of the way of the ghostly figure. Too late. He paused next to me, and through the dark, a familiar face looked down, eyes caught mine, held mine. He looked as though he was assessing me, reading something that only he could see. I raised an eyebrow in return, waited. I wanted to say something or ask if he had any idea what was going on, but I didn't. I watched, unblinking, I said nothing. He passed by without a word. There was another click at the end of the corridor, and I was alone again. It had been less than a minute since the train stopped. Wands were starting to ignite in each of the compartments. I stared after him. Lumos, I whispered. Silver light blooming from the wand hanging lazily in my hand. Tatiana? Lucretia called from our compartment, a thread of panic staining her voice. Yes, I wandered back, pausing as I passed the door he had come from. It looked empty to me, though I couldn't see much past the pale reflection of myself in the glass door. What's going on? Are you all right? I entered the compartment, calm now, the queasy feeling quite gone. I'm fine. I don't know. I didn't see anything. I shut the door and turned to face the girls. Best keep this closed? They nodded, one bored and one nervous. You didn't see anything? Lucretia hissed as I took back my seat at the window, sitting very close and leaning in. I thought there was something moving out there, but I dropped my wand. Voices seemed to flood the hallway now, as though the train had woken up and suddenly everyone was out yelling for friends or a driver, a teacher. Wands waved around, casting odd beams of light everywhere, and all I could hear were cries of, what happened? I think I was the only one relieved at the sudden stop of the train. This is ridiculous. We should be back in London by now, Lucille moaned from the seat across. She rolled her neck and sighed in a manner that told us how tired she was with the situation already. She was wrong, of course. London was still an hour away, but I didn't feel like correcting her now. Instead, I made myself busy, pushing open the window beside and leaning out, looking around as though the outside world would give us some clue to what had happened. All the while, I wondered about what he had been doing there, drifting in the silence. Whatever it was, I wasn't about to share that news with anyone else. I knew enough of Tom Riddle to know he liked his secrets kept that way. There was power in a well-kept secret. I craned my neck to look down at the snowy tracks as something rumbled below me, the wheels slowly whining and starting to turn once again. With a series of loud pops, the lights around us burst back to life and we were once again bathed in a warm glow. What in Merlin's name? Lucretia muttered, putting her wand out with a firm knox. I followed suit, sitting as we started to speed off, the trunks rattling in their racks, a hiss coming from a wicker basket, an owl shifting, crying out and flapping their wings in irritation. That was bizarre. She sat next to me as I shrugged, tucking my knees up to my chest and resuming my original position. In the 21 previous times I had boarded the train, it had never stopped mid-journey. The lights had never even flickered. 
As the three of us settled in for the rest of the journey, my heart hammered away, thudding along as I leant my head against the glass. The corridor had filled with students, one group making the most noise as they strode up and down, loudly checking nobody was hurt by throwing open doors, yelling and causing the whole scene to roll on. While you're here, Lucretia finished, giving the nearest boy a thin look and put a hand on my arm. You haven't forgot about next Friday, she whispered. Of course not, I smiled and reassured her. I'll be there. Thank you. She relaxed, unclasped her hand. It's going to be dull as old bins, but I don't think I can face another one on my own. You're going to be my shield through the whole night. It can't be that bad, I laughed, hiding my interest behind a bland smile and a raised eyebrow. A party with my parents' friends? You cannot be serious. Deadly. She shook her head, dark curls going everywhere as she looked back into the corridor, frowning. Just be there. I can't do this without you. Don't worry, I will be. The second night back, I woke to the sound of something sharp scraping against glass, scratching, tapping, screeching. Lying there wrapped up in blankets, thinking of the frozen floorboards and the chill of the night air, it was some time before I could force myself to sit up, my bed creaking dangerously as I climbed to my feet, pulled a woolen throw with me, and made my way to the window. It may have been the dead of night, but the fields around the house were blanketed in white, lighting the whole scene as though it were daylight. Snow seemed to follow me wherever I went, from Hogwarts in the winter and from before that, when it was a gray-brown slush that piled high on every street corner, goaded ditches and walkways so high that you had to wade through and buried us inside in the worst of winter. Here it was too bright, the light it cast reflecting into the room and turning the huge bird into a silhouette that continued to tap the glass with the end of one razor-like claw. I moved fast, pushing the window right up to let the beast through. I moved fast, pushing the window right up to let the beast, though. Even then, it ducked its dark head to fit. It was an eagle, black feathers marked with white patches, white downy legs ending in great yellow talons that wrapped carefully around my wrist as it stepped from window to my arm and held out a foot. The weight was impossible to carry. As soon as I'd untied the tiny scroll, I let him fly to the end of my bed and perch on the railings instead. I didn't have food for him. Owl pellets wouldn't do. They'd be nothing to the hunter, and even then, the box was nearly empty. He had come such a long way, though. He would have flown without stopping across countries and seas in order to deliver this message to me. He cawed, almost reminding me I was wasting time, and I shushed him softly. He needed my response before he could leave. I picked at the black seal and unfurled the tiny bit of parchment. Something fell onto the floor and under the bed, but the message was more important. That could wait. I didn't know what my father would do if he caught sight of the bird here. Yesli, Rumia, Pradet, Mai, Yi Yi, Abgo Vorum. Elaborate handwriting looped in the center, the blunt words making me stop, frown. For a moment, I couldn't see past my annoyance to think of a response. I picked up the note again, read it again, and then grabbed a fresh piece of parchment from my open trunk and ripped off a sliver. With my scribbled reply attached, I went back to the window, forcing it up despite the wood's screamed protests, and moved out of his way. He hopped from the bed to the windowsill, blowing through the gap and pitching from the edge for a moment, like I surveying the fields and the dark trees in the distance. He took off with a dive from my window and a great flap of wings, soaring over the ground then up into the sky. I closed the window, turning now to the object that had fallen to the floor and finding it just by the foot of my bed. It was tiny, the size of the nail on my pinky finger, but it glittered even in the dark. I rolled it in my palm. 
My mother sent them every so often, just in case. I turned again for my trunk, pulled a small jewelry box from the depths, and dropping it in, locking the box quickly. I would burn the letter in the morning, when the fire downstairs had been lit and nobody would notice. Until then, I went over my response in my head, lay back in my bed, and stared blankly at the ceiling. When I finally got back to sleep, the sun was a gray shadow on the horizon, and my dreams were marked with white snow and black birds and a boy in the dark on a still, silent train.